Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. On this episode, we are discussing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It was released in 1984, directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Harrison Ford, Kate Capshaw, and Ki Hui Kwan. The second movie in the series where we see Indy deal with an ancient cult and shenanigans ensue. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling a 39-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, we will be revealing key plot points. You know, as movie intros go, this one this this one sucked. Anything Was that goes. too harsh? That, yeah, anything, anything goes. Good Lord, like a whole dancing sequence with just music and what just happened. Can someone help me get through the first like eight minutes of this movie? Clearly an homage to big studio pictures of the 50s. Except for worse. <laughs> but, like, I mean, and I, I know we're obviously going to be talking about the other movies as we progress or whatever, but even comparing this one to the first one, like, and I, I totally understand what it was trying to go for, but it missed the mark on the fact that I don't feel like that was appropriate for an Indiana Jones movie because it didn't have any sense of mystery or anything like that to it. It was horribly choreographed. The song was terrible, and there wasn't a single Asian person in Shanghai during that entire number. There's a bunch of fake ones, but there was no real ones. It it was really bad, and it, it went forever. Like, That's the I, thing. I feel like it just lasted so long. But so did the 50s musicals. I think it was really designed to evoke that kind of thing, even though like the reverse things, or they have, there's a lot of movies where they have they're lowering somebody into water, but they reverse it so that they're coming out of it. They even did that in another movie recently. So I guess I've asked this. So back when we all watched this in 1984, because we were all in the theaters watching it then, was your first reaction like, wow, this intro is amazing. It is a throwback to the 1950s. And I really appreciate what Steven Spielberg was going for here. Yes. Or were you like me? And I actually really just watched it on USA. No, and when I, I was probably never really old. paid attention to that scene. When I was however old I was, and I made it until they started pulling hearts out, and then my dad yanked me out of the theater. But yes. wait, hold on. There's that. I hear this is like family trauma, is what I just heard. Yeah, I'm actually very unhappy about it. I wish I would not have got yanked out, but it's fine. Too risque, huh? I mean, we're that's pretty deep into the movie. We'll get there, but ultimately, the 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 violence that was portrayed on film was not uh, good for your family. Yeah, no, my dad like stuck his hand over my face to try to shield what I was seeing. And I think that must have been like while they were dropping the guy into the fire. And then as soon as they started yanking hearts out, he uh, grabbed me by my collar and yanked me out of that theater. But, and Wait, 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 wait. But had you seen the first movie at that point? No, I have. Because I... Nazis faces melted off. The heart was the line he drew. I don't really have any recollection of seeing any other. I mean, maybe this is the only one that I remember because I was yanked out of the theater. But <laughs> this is this is the only the only movie I remember. I mean, I I think I have like images of Return of the Jedi in my head, like the speeder bike chase, thinking, "Wow, that's so cool!" But that could have been a re-release. But I this is the the only vivid memory I have of seeing movie as a child. I mean, so when did you see it in full for the first time? Oh, years later, yeah, like, okay, rental. But did you have a sense that like you weren't allowed to watch it 
because of what happened when you were younger? Like it was something forbidden. Cause like, I feel like that happened to me when like it came to like, like Chucky or something like that, where like, I wasn't supposed to like, I like it was because they would do something like that. You were like mentally was like, I'm not supposed to watch this. Or you're like the rebel Bobby who's like, I'm going to fucking watch this, you know? No, I, I had a conversation with my dad saying like, why'd you yank me out of that? Like, I understand it's a movie. Like, I enjoy watching the art, even the back then. I just remember saying, "Like it's a movie. I know it's not real. Like, <laughs> you know, like can I could let's just watch it?" And he's like, oh, "Okay." Like he he believed me at that point, and so I don't think there was an there was an issue. Like the I do remember though, like I wasn't allowed to watch Back to the Future because of like excessive swearing. What? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wait, was there? I don't remember it being that no, bad. No, I don't remember any excessive swearing at all. But was it the banana joke? Was that too far? I, I was in a I was in an oppressive household because I remember like my <laughs> my um we tried to watch like bed knobs and broomsticks or something like that, and my mom thought it was witchcraft, so she's like, "No, you can't watch this." Well, now that we've gone man this deep dive, so at what point did you realize that you appreciate 1950s homages to uh, old song and dance films? My original viewing, I was like, "Wow, this is this is like, this is definitely a, a nod to the heyday of studio filmmaking in the 50s." Wow, <laughs> little, little Bobby, like, wow. <laughs> okay i'm glad little bobby was far advanced than most movie watchers oh man for me it hurt i mean that leads us into a whole poison antidote gag scene and indy trying to escape we meet uh willie scott and her character who just is an, an incessant screamer and is clearly shocked and in awe by everything that exists in the world that is around her well, somehow they also make her someone who's obsessed with money and diamonds, and that's apparently the only thing she cares about. Like, what is going on with this movie? I, you know, it's funny because like I feel like if this movie were made like closer to like the modern era, they probably would have done something a little bit different with her character. Like maybe she would have been trying to pull like a hustle over the whole thing. Like she would have been yeah. trying to steal the diamond from the beginning, mm-hmm. and like sure. they probably would have did something different. With her character. I, I can only imagine this poor woman's like audition. Or maybe double double crossed Indy many times. Yeah, like, but for whatever reason, like I, I don't know what happened with this movie and their development of female characters because like the first movie, I feel like they did a decent job at developing. Uh, oh crap! What was her character's name? Marion Ravenwood. Marion, yeah. Like they they did a decent job developing her character for the most part. I mean, she was still unfortunately too much of a damsel in distress. Um, mm-hmm. but you kind of got a feeling like she was like a woman of the world or whatever. Like she owned her own bar mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. you know, you felt like she could probably hold her own for the most part. Yep. And then you had, you know, uh was it Elsa in the third movie? Mm-hmm. Um, like again, like fairly competent female characters, but this movie, they were just like, nah. We're not doing that. She's well, it it seems like they were clearly trying to like take the first movie and be like, okay, like what different can we do to like turn it on its head and make it not like a copy of the first movie, right? So, so everything. So yeah, everything. So even even the fact that like Indy basically like his quest, his MacGuffin is presented to him. He's not like, oh, wow, this is something I really need to find and put in a museum like the first one. It's just, you know, he stumbles on it, essentially. He's given it instead of, mm-hmm. like, like copying the first movie and saying, like, hey, 
there's this artifact I know we're looking for. Like, let's go find it. Well, a couple things. Can we pour one out for, I think it was Chen, his homie who we knew for uh, only a few seconds, who said they've been on so many adventures together. Can I want to see those, the Chen. I want to see those stories. Yeah, I want to see the Chen movie. That guy, like, I, he I was there for, for Indy and just gets killed. Oh, it hurts my heart. And then also, so we get through that. He's getting on a plane that, you know, belongs to Lao She. But before that, we meet the the best character in the whole film, Dan Aykroyd. Playing Weber. <laughs> can we just where was Dan Aykroyd in this entire movie? Can we can we ask for more Dan Aykroyd? I I said it when he came up or whatever, like I I would easily switch him out for Willie Scott. Like I I don't need the female love interest in this because she was basically useless for the entire thing. A Dan Aykroyd side character that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Dan Aykroyd even get like a medium shot? Like much less a close up. Like they're like, oh, we don't want people to realize that this might be Dan Aykroyd. Let's like film him like sixty feet away. I, I mean, I kind of get it, right? Like it, you know, it's kind of like in modern movies, um, uh, watching Guardians or whatever recently, there's a couple of characters that, you know, when you see them, you instantly think of the person and not, it's just a character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that happens with cameos sometimes. So like, I, I do kind of get the insistence on if all of a sudden you had Dan Aykroyd pop up or whatever, it would be, it, it'd be almost like uh, if you ever watched like TV shows in the 90s, it's kind of become like a meme online or whatever. They kind of joke about it, like where like, you know, you'd have the main character walking down the hallway and they'd bump into another character. The character would turn around. And it turns out it would be the guest star for the episode or whatever. And everyone mm-hmm. would clap and cheer like, Oh my God, it's right, John yeah. Stamos or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like that probably would have happened in this moment, but like, oh, it's Dan Aykroyd. Like though, the only way you could be, do better is if you had the rest of the ghostbusters there too. Like, we're <laughs> all part of the crew. <laughs> well, he gets on this plane and the pilots jump out, and then we get probably one of the most quintessential, believable things that could ever happen in stunt cinema. A raft can be uh, exploded in the sky, and it will float you down safely onto Earth. Mythbusters don't lie. No, no. I want to tell you right now, this movie is the very reason why I take a raft with me on every flight I go on. <laughs> I, I have been taught that this is the way to survive a plane crash. And I will make it. But we're not sinking. We're crashing. I'm, st- I'm still bugged by the fact that these two pilots just jumped out of the plane rather than shooting a sleeping Indiana Jones. <laughs> like, that plane wasn't free. That's a waste of assets, my friend. Like, why? Oh, you old businessman. <laughs> just throw them overboard. No. T- shooting, <laughs> shooting, you might shoot a hole in your own plane and crash it still. They're not flying very high. They could have thrown him overboard. And we do get that epic uh, crash flame as it hits the side of the mountain. I think we said not to nitpick the effects of a 1984 film, but this one is a little bit of a doozy. No, 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 no. Back to the Future came out one year after this. I'm nitpicking on that fire effect. (laughs) That was, I I think I did a better effect back when I was like 12. (laughs) Like that, that was... That was there were some pretty bad egregious effects in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, well, they survived. You know, they survived this, and they have a miracle pocket where they could store lots of things. So they have like changes of clothes and and different things. They no, read, they went they, to the Pancot gift store. 
No, that's before. Hold on. This is even. Okay, that's this before. is them going okay. to the village first, right? Okay. Didn't they get to change of clothes somewhere in there? It's like they the have Indi- to go on their it's, journey. It's like the Indiana Jones ride. You just go to the gift shop after you leave. We get into the jungle. They're just trying to live the dream. We have the most eclectic uh, animal adventure with Willie screaming at the sight of every moving creature. And I think we saw a lot of things that may not cohabitate in a jungle ecosystem of the kind that they were in. That poor woman. I swear. She probably had to scream at like everything. That was How many takes? How many scream takes? (sighs) Like at that point, I legit was waiting for it to be a comedy and one of them was going to start talking. Like literally she's going to hit the owl and the owl's going to be like, who are you screaming at? You know? <laughs> Good night, Ned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So three amigos. That's exactly what that scene was. Do you think Completely. she was cast because she was a good screamer? They're like, ooh, you can oh. really scream. You're going to be perfect here. That was a prerequisite. It had to have been. Like the only thing she didn't do was a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> I mean, it was in the movie though. <laughs> it was in the movie, but she didn't do it. I th- there was one scene, I think, there where there were... Um, they were in the jungle, and then we see the flying bats, and that looked actually real to me. And I thought that, yeah, was I think cool. I think they were real actually, although they're fruit bats, not vi- vampire bats. Do we? I mean, okay, thank you. And now they're not cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't enjoy them because they lost their vampire status. <laughs> they're eating. They meet the the what is the kid who's the, in charge of everything. Short round? Or are you talking the Maharaja? Oh, the Maharaja. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we get a really weird dinner scene where they just made everything awkward about all the food that was being presented to them. Yeah. Are these? I mean, these decisions are so... I guess they're so 1983, if this movie came out in 1984. It's, it's, just, it's just how people were in the early 80s. One-upmanship. But, like, it was just that mentality of, you know, uh, the exotic Middle East and the Asian, you know, cultures and whatnot. Like, they, I don't know, like, I, I don't I don't know if this was just a case of, you know, Mickey Rooneyism, where, like, they were just, like, you know, trying to make it as outlandish as possible. Yeah. Or if, like, may, like, maybe there was, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, did they, like, go to some you know consultant or something like that where like what's the most outrageous thing that is actually you know eaten in these cultures or whatever even if it's not commonplace and we can use those i mean i i i still remember being like shanghai at a restaurant and seeing people like eating chicken feet for the first time and i was like Mm -hmm. wow like you know i didn't think there was anything to eat there so I'm just guessing, like, did Steven Spielberg fly to India and come across some instance of these? Or is it literally just, like, it just feels like something that you would see in, like, a 50s movie where, mm-hmm. like, everyone would be in, like, brown face and they would just be eating the most, like, it was the most outlandish thing. I mean, like, they're eating, mon- like, chilled monkey brains or something for dessert. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. this just, like, feels... Like I like I said while we're watching, I can't imagine this did well in India. Like they're probably just watching this, like what the hell? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that it was just done for shock and awe, regardless of where the story was placed. But I think that was it. All these things kind of 
just I'll say with the pacing and the way each set piece worked, it's almost like I felt like I was getting beat over the head with the concept. Like they show it to you once and then they repeat it over and over. I mean, they literally gave us what a 10 course meal. It felt like where I was like, here's the next odd oddity food item. And here's the next one. And, and the way they treat the action piece, uh, pieces feel the exact same way to me. Where it's just like, well, I guess here we go again, kind of just rinse and repeat the same, same action thing. I mean, at this point in the movie, is where we're supposed to believe there's some uh, little sexual tension between Willie and Indiana. Were you ever convinced? No, that was, there was nothing organic about it. Like at least if it was a case of, and you know, having watched this, I mean, I, I'll say this right now. I haven't watched this movie since the first time I watched it. It's one of those movies where like, it's a one and done. I didn't oh, okay. need to go back and watch it. Um, okay. So like watching it now, the way that it started with the beginning of the movie, with their relationship, because he took her hostage. Mm-hmm. He, he was like threatening to kill her, whether she believed it to be real or not. Again, they just met just then. Like there was that kind of dynamic. And I thought they would probably play off of it. Like, you know, very much like, uh, you know, um, constant arguing and somehow that would lead to things. And they kind of hinted at it, but it felt so inorganic between the two actors or whatever that mm-hmm. by time, like it just, it like literally like once the music cued, I was like, well, in five seconds, they're going to be kissing like, and there's no reason for it whatsoever. It was an organic situation. Like what, what, what was he like mating rituals or whatever he was talking about mm-hmm. there? It was like that. What was that like 19, you know, 1935's like you know pickup line or whatever <laughs> that that's what gets the ladies going like it, he, he wanted to study her nocturnal habits <laughs> yeah it reminds me of one of the james bond movies where like he's talking about like watching birds you know and then they eat like there's no tomorrow and that's supposed to like lead into some like over the top suggestive kind of situation and is there an element here where it does feel like they're trying to make indie very very bondish in a way a little bit at the beginning, I felt like yeah. that was kind of like the beginning sequence. Like I will say like that entire sequence dance aside felt almost completely a mute point to the entirety of the story. Whereas like the first movie, like it had, like you got to meet uh Bartok. What was it? Whatever the French guy. Mm-hmm. So like it kind of played into the rest of the movie. You never saw any of the rest of these characters again. It was basically just a chance to kidnap a singer dancer lady that he brings with her for the rest of the journey, but it didn't play into it. And then like it did have kind of like a short of like they were playing like cards or something. It did have kind of like that bond esque feel to it. Even the way he like, he walks into frame kind of felt a little bit like what I'd imagine Sean Connery doing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, I thought, it, it, I thought the the whole like dynamics of the lazy Susan kind of table thing was interesting. Well, I mean, you wanted the diamonds and the coins and the stone. Yeah, and the antidote. And the antidote. No, I mean, that was cool. I mean, with the camera going back and forth to kind of move between the different groups. I do get that. Um, you know, uh, we talked about their sexual tension. It never really happens at this point. They get into a scenario where we have, um, you know, another, I guess I'll call it a good indie gag when we think of the big rolling ball. Maybe this this mm-hmm. moment in this movie was here, them in the closed room with the spikes coming down and her having to reach through the bugs to to get them released. But Matt, I think you pointed out something that seemed a little obvious. 
that it would never actually fully close on them? I mean, it couldn't have if like, it would have been one thing if like you would have seen, uh, well, like here's they didn't have is, holes in the ground no, where the spikes there, would go. No, there was no holes. Well, at first I thought that's what the case was because when it starts, the the ceiling starts coming down, the little cone shaped thing starts coming down, and the spikes are down, and you see the holes in the ground. So I'm like, okay, that's clearly a case of, you know, it's going to go down. But then I was like, but like there's bodies in there. If they died the same way, they would have gotten crushed or something when it went all the way down. But then that also means that the spikes were pointless. They literally could have just had the ceiling coming straight down and crushed them to death. And that would have been just as effective. But they're like, no, we need spikes. And then Spielberg was like, no, I need more spikes. And now the spikes are coming from the ground too. So it was like, there's no way that both those could have collided or else it would have broke the spikes, which means there would have been no more spikes. I was like, all she had to do is just like go between the spikes and squat down. Short round would have been fine. <laughs> like it didn't make any sense logically. Like the giant mm-hmm. boulder I get, but this made no sense. I feel like you should have said, I got a bad feeling about this. Oh no. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that crossover. Dang it. Um, they get out of there. They get to the temple. We see, I think the, uh, the big uh, set piece with Mullah Ram who ends up sacrificing this dude by taking out his heart and it's beating the, the quintessential scene you discussed, the one that was too graphic for, for movie theaters, <laughs> according to your dad. Um, I will tell you what I've ever seen that as a kid. It freaked me out. I was like, Oh, what a weird thing for, for a heart to be beating outside the body. And then you see the person's chest cavity uh, sealed right back up. But Matt pointing out the most obvious thing. How did he get through the rib cage? But whatever. Um, he he went under pump. it like a like a chef's kiss kind of like pull. I didn't really see that. That does feel very <laughs> Mortal Kombat, but no, he just went straight in. Um, but we do get the kind of cool scene of him being lowered into the lava pit uh, and then catching fire. I will tell you, I do like the lava swirl. I thought it looked cool. Kind of wanted to touch it because I figured <laughs> it's just water. <laughs> Anybody else? It was an the interesting place effect. Was like, yeah, it was like quite a set piece of like of a multi-layered like them up above seeing down below and then the whole like i don't know what it's called like the throne room section of it mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. cavern below and all these like mechanical like closing doors and yeah there was it was quite a thing it very, and it really leads yeah go ahead matt it very much harkened back to again like and i i get it that's kind of the thing about these movies is it's very much george lucas's childhood watching these kind of uh, serials and movies or whatever. Like it felt like a set piece you would see in like, you know, a 1920s, you know, movie. Cause like it, it's almost over-engineered in a yeah, way sure. that like yeah. it's, it's so over the top that you're like, right. it makes no sense that you'd go through this amount of effort to build something like this underneath the ground, mm-hmm. like building, like, what was it like, like a, a statue of uh was it Shiva or Kali? Or whatever, mm-hmm. with, oh, its Shiva, yeah. with its hands extended, with its hands extended, and chains right. coming out of it to hold the the cage or whatever. It was so like ornate, but it's very much what you would see back in like you know the Flash Gordon era of movie making. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I guess in that Flash Gordon era, because you know after we get through this, we get to what I feel were my notes were. Cart scene is so long. Followed by my next note, bridge scene is so long. Um, 
like the cart scene alone, I felt like they were doing the cart chase, you know, after they battle and get some fights and Indy drinks from a thing that looks like an orc head from Lord of the Rings. Um, it totally and turns does. into, <laughs> to, to, totally looks like an orc's head, right? Um, and, and he gets all possessed, but then he gets unpossessed because of fire and then there's fighting and then the cart scene happens and it just goes on and on like a journey song. But I like the, I like the cart, the, the cart sequence because it looked to me like it was like a whole big mash of different kinds of effects and stuff. Like we talk about like the pre-computer like Mm -hmm. wizardry. And so like, I'm assuming like they had like a model of all this stuff and like a giant, like, I don't know, like train set that they were just kind of messing with. And, but I, I do agree though, that with Austin on the aspect that like, it would have been nice if they would have chosen like shorten, you know, the cart scene and focus on the mm-hmm. bridge scene because that's the final set piece. Cause it is the final set piece or focus on the cart scene and make that the final set piece and just either ignore the bridge or make it something that's just kind of like an end piece, like have it so that, what, what was, the hell was his name? Mola Ram or whatever. Yeah. yeah Mola Ram. Like they think that they yeah. took him out or whatever. And then, then he comes right. up on the bridge and he's threatening to cut the bridge or something. But because they have these two major set pieces bookended on the, in this movie, it feels so long and drawn out unnecessarily, unfortunately. Like, sure. I would have been fine. Like, you know, I could have seen the card sequence been incredibly fun if you had had much more dynamic camera mm-hmm. shots or whatever. But it should have been like the final thing. Or you say like, okay, this is only going to last like three to five minutes and it's done. But it was a solid, what, 10-ish minutes? Right. From beginning I mean, to I end? Did. I think felt that, like an eternity. <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the things that this, I think this movie is a lot of like style over substance, so to speak. I think like I think a lot of things are in this movie because they look cool and they were fun to film and they were mm-hmm. they look neat on a on a movie screen, but not necessarily because they're practical or could ever happen in any kind of living world. I just think it's like they're neat and they're fun and. This but, is a fun little adventure outside of the world of physics and reality. And let's so, have but, fun with it and enjoy it. And, like if you compared it though, you know, we're going to compare it. Like I'll, I'll bring up a movie that we're going to watch, but we haven't talked mm-hmm. about yet, which is last crusade. If mm-hmm. I compared this to the, uh, the truck car chase in the first one or the tank chase with the horses in the sure. third one, like it yeah. just doesn't hold the same level of quality to me. You can't count. You can't look at the third one yet. We haven't. We haven't watched it. it doesn't count. <laughs> only only can compare against the first one. But I do feel like we're getting into. There's a little bit of a drop off here. If we had to compare the two, is what we're saying. It is what it is. I guess from a certain point of view. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting for. You know, I think um, understanding that this is part of a franchise and understanding that we're we're kind of working through the entire thing here. Um, Sometimes we like substance, Bobby. You know, sometimes we don't need a <clears throat> Andy coming in and saving the village by bringing back a stone when everything. I was actually looking thriving in the village and needing the uh, shaman of the village to tell us, oh, we knew everything was good because the world was returning back to normal. Oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic work, Andy. I feel like that's kind of the thing that threw me off for this entire movie was with the first one. And I know we're not talking about the other movies yet, but for the first one, <laughs> I felt that there was a distinctive line of reason around the Ark of the Covenant 
Like, why did Indy want it? Why did the Nazis want it? Why did uh, Bartok or whatever want it? Like, it made total sense. There was uh, a, a, a setup for what the Ark of the Covenant could do when they talked about, like, the, mm-hmm. the light of God or whatever. So, like, whenever it got to the actual sequence, like, you're like, oh, this is what it meant. Like, and so, like, you had this very strong narrative line that was drawn and I didn't get that with the three stones in this. Like the, the stone was like the life giver of this village, I guess, which is weird because there's tons of other villages probably in the area that are just fine without the stones, mm-hmm. but this one particularly needed it. And like, it was just a little thrown in thing. Why uh, Mala Ram wanted the stone. Like it just, it, what it, it just didn't hold the same sort of MacGuffin nature that the first movie did to destroy the Christian God. Yeah. Like that was just kind of in there. Like the first movie did a good job setting up this one because it was so circumstantial. He just came across this village and found out about it. And it just didn't have the same sort of like one under that you get for the first movie or any future movies, even a movie we're, we're probably going to enjoy watching coming up with a certain crystal skull at -hmm. least had more of a setup for what that was. Oh, I will be pleasantly surprised if I... Well, I, I do want to ask about, about like Indy and his comment at the end where he said, I do believe now, I do understand its worth to you guys, basically. Is that an, an arc for him? Like, I didn't really see... Because we talked about, like... And we're not talking about the first movie, but the first movie, like, he didn't really change, right? He just, like, was himself. But in this one, like... They made a point to him of saying like, but okay, I, I understand now, but I don't recall him not believing in the beginning. No, especially was compared, that... like, if anything, it would have been Willie because she's the one who mm-hmm. makes this whole comment about magic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, you know, this, this is, and we didn't really talk about it, but this is a prequel to the first movie. This happens yeah. like one-ish years before the first movie happened. So he hasn't seen the Ark and the Covenant yet. This might be right. the very first magical experience this guy's had i didn't watch the tv show so when he was younger so i I don't know if he ran across it then but in the essence of the movies this is his first instance of running across you know magical type things he never came into a you know a the notion that he didn't believe in anything mystical or magical or whatever but willie did i think that would have been an interesting plot line it's like oh they're just stones Mm -hmm. but i don't Mm -hmm. think he ever really said that no he he said he w- went straight in and said we're gonna get these things and he even said when they were in there I'm not leaving without these but he did say fortune and glory so I don't know if it was maybe his change was I want these for myself and towards the end he wanted to give them back to the to the village but I don't know if that was totally clear to me where that change in belief kind of came from. Yeah, there's definitely part of me that felt like he probably was just like, I'll just go get one of those other two stones since I know where the uh, I know that where they were digging. I'll find it some other way. I know that was kind of a that was kind of like a drop thread line. The fact that there were two other ones in there somewhere, mm-hmm. like they they talked about that for so long that I thought that was going to play into it somehow, mm-hmm. but it did not. Nope. Well, now there's four of them. Maybe that's the next movie. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, before we get into the Side future, quest. let's talk about the past and let's talk about the present. Bobby, you telling people to watch this? Yes, 
Watch it first so you could watch it in uh, in timeline order. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Okay. <laughs> we may have skipped doing that part. <laughs> He's here for the timeline order of the film, not release order. Matt, are you telling the people to watch this movie? <laughs> From the sense of I think it would make you appreciate the actual good ones. I think that it's worth watching. Um, but to be honest, like I was three drinks in and I don't think that I really found it all that enjoyable. So, and these, these movies are so episodic, right? Mm -hmm. They're like a TV show. So I don't even, even less than a TV show. You don't have to watch this movie to watch the other movies, at least with the first movie. There's a little bit of it in, you know, the third and the fourth movie, there's little nods to it. There's no nods to this movie. Like, I feel like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas wanted to forget about this movie. So if you're asking me, watch it or not watch it, I think you can skip. Oh, sacrilege. (laughs) If you're sitting down to watch the entire series, this is the one that you're going to be on your phone, maybe doing something else, maybe playing on your Switch while it's on, or more importantly, like Matt said, break out the popcorn, take a shot or two, and just get your mind absolutely numb that's that's what i think is happening when you uh when you watch this one it's it's a choice it's a choice you make it not us you make the choice this time as always but watch it <laughs> as always thank you for listening and remember kali ma protects us we are her children we pledge our devotion to her with an offering of flesh and blood <laughs>